This is your Thursday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Excited to be back with you again today. We got so much to get to. Chris Hine will join me in a little bit, talking a little bit of uh, Timberwolves off-season stuff. Good time for that. Uh, Discussed that before, ahead of free agency, ahead of the NBA really kicking into their off-season gear and really before things really start to heat up next week on the field uh, and on the you know on several different platforms and different sports so I'll talk to Chris here in just a little bit we kind of go back and forth on a Ben Simmons trade notion whether we think that's a good idea or not had some fun with that get to a little bit of a wild news we had Sarah McClellan on um, yesterday's show she kind of foreshadowed what you know, what were the likely outcomes of the expansion draft, but we know now what happened. Carson Soucy, uh, chosen by the Seattle Kraken um, in in the expansion draft on Wednesday, and what does that mean for the Wild? But first, what did I miss? we got to talk some twins here because there's kind of three little pieces I want to get to um, uh, relating to the twins. You know, the first being they won uh, against the White Sox, not terribly important um, in, in the big picture, but they did manage to split that series after, you know, uh, probably disappointing. They let a couple games that were, you know, available to them get away. Could have, uh, you know, could have had a better outcome if the, in that series, even if that probably wouldn't have mattered a whole lot in the big picture. But they do get the win um, on Wednesday. The bad news is they find out that Alex Kirilov, their rookie outfielder first baseman going on the injured list going to have wrist surgery been a problem he's been having for a while you know just another thing for this season right if the you know the the promising things they seem to get going when Byron Buxton's on the field he's great but he can't stay healthy he comes back for a couple games and gets you know hit in the hand and he's out you know Kirilov same thing he's you know he's been battling this wrist thing for a couple years now they thought he could try to play through it but it sounds like his it's impacting his swing to the point now where he is going to have surgery won't be back on a major league field this year so that's uh, you know more than 2 months now uh that Alex Kirilov won't be playing some obviously some outfield openings things like that wonderful we'll see a little bit more of the Jake Cave experience now that he's been rehabbing in St. Paul um, and, and how those at-bats get divvied up. Maybe more Miguel Sano on a regular basis at first base since Kirloff had been playing a lot of first as well. We'll have to see. Probably opens the door for some prospects to come up too. Um, you know, but with the trade deadline looming a little over a week away too, we'll, we'll see how many more people join uh, join those new prospects if they're going to arrive soon. But Kirloff definitely um, a big blow, You know, just not getting a chance to see him for a couple more months, seeing what he can do. Uh, on the field but uh, you know the the good news is he looks like he's legit looks like he can play and get the get the surgery done now it, you, no sense trying to play through this year with discomfort and jeopardize you know hurting it more or having you know the surgery and rehabilitation from that uh, you know dragging into the 2022 you know season preparation so might as well get it done now uh, but but tough break for the twins the bigger piece of the twins that I want to talk about is Shohei Otani Coming to town starting Thursday, four-game series between the Twins and Angels. I don't know how much you guys have been paying attention to West Coast baseball this year or what Shohei Otani has been doing this season, but it is nothing short of remarkable. I mean, it's it's it, it boggles the mind what he's doing this season. You know, you go on Baseball Reference, you look at his numbers, you got to look at the pitching and the hitting. He's got a combined WAR of six point one. 
this season. Usually you look at offensive war and defensive war. you got to look at the pitching war and the offensive war for him. Um, he's got 74 RBIs, 34 home runs. He's slugging over 1,000, leads the Leads the league in uh, in uh, in slugging and home runs. Huge year pitching. Yes. Uh, let's see. Decision wise, not only decision wise, he's only four and one. But uh, you know, in uh, in seventy three innings, uh, just ninety five strikeouts, only forty nine hits allowed. Not officially listed as a starter yet for uh, pitching wise this weekend in the series. But there's a TBD on the Sunday starter for the Angels, and I it sure looks like you know Otani pitched on the nineteenth. That would be five full days of rest if he pitched on the 25th on Sunday. That would make a lot of sense. So hopefully the fans at Target Field get to see him pitch. Um, you know, it's a little, little kind of nice with them when the pressure's off. You know, when the Twins are playing better, I guess you wouldn't necessarily want to see Otani uh, face them because that might mean a loss. But uh, in this case, just go enjoy that, assuming he is going to pitch in that game. Nothing short of remarkable. I, I can't really fathom how he is doing this, the mental energy, the physical energy it takes to excel in both of these facets at the highest level of baseball is nothing short of remarkable. Almost as remarkable as the Angels somehow still not being above 500 despite having Otani having this season and having Mike Trout on their roster. I know Trout's been injured for a while this year. He's on the 60-day DL. But even when Trout was in the lineup, the Angels were only 17 and 19 this season. How do you have two of the best players in the whole world and still you cannot compete in a, in a more meaningful way than that? But I guess it's uh, it goes to show it's more than an individual sport, but uh, this individual especially should go watch him if you get a chance this weekend at Target Field. I'm Chris Hine, Timberwolves beat writer at the Star Tribune and the first five-time guest in daily delivery history. Thank you for listening to this podcast. This work is made possible by our Star Tribune subscribers. For unlimited access to the articles mentioned in this podcast, our coverage of Minnesota sports from pros to preps, and even all of Rand's future blog posts about how the Timberwolves should trade for players they will never get, go to startribune.com slash subscribe. Special treat on daily delivery today. Chris Hine joins the show, Five Timers Club. Chris, we've both been traveling so much this summer. I still haven't gotten you your jacket, but uh, that's going to happen soon. Maybe at the Star Tribune picnic that's coming up, or if you're going to be at that, we'll uh, we'll make the swap um, and get you that. Um, first off, first off, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. I've been spending the last few weeks visiting some family in Pennsylvania. Um, I returned to Minneapolis uh, this week, so. I'm excited to come back to the desert that is uh, Minneapolis. Pack several water bottles, um, mm-hmm. you know, a, a compass. Make sure you can traverse this arid desert that we have. I don't want uh, I don't want anything to happen. <laughs> uh, make sure you've got plenty of stay hydrated is what I would say. It has been a hot summer. Um, as I told you, it's not usually like this um here in minnesota yep. so every uh, every winter and summer is not usually like this, uh, <laughs> this my, is quite a, in my three years that i've been here quite a run you're on chris but uh okay so here's the here's the premise for today chris texted me last week and said i think we should do something i want to make sure we i want to make sure because you guys are probably going to read the headline of this show and you're gonna be like oh rand is on his ben simmons thing again chris texted me last week said i think we should do something on ben simmons and whether this trade is a, whether the, the possibility of the wolves trading for him is a good idea or not. So this is Chris Hines idea. Um, he did cut the, he cut the promo uh, that we're going to use on today's show yeah. about wild speculation about players, the wolves, and they're going to get, they'll probably never get Ben Simmons. Um, but it's not a, it's not a 0% chance uh, because Ben Simmons is, is 
tradable and, and, you know, very likely to be traded. I think this offseason better than 50% chance, I would think. And the Wolves at least are one of those teams that could put together a package of assets and have a, have a need for a Ben Simmons. So right off the bat, Chris Hine, I want to give you the floor. Why? Mm-hmm. Let's talk about this idea of Ben Simmons and in, mm-hmm. in, in whatever context you want to bring it up. Um, but let's preface it by saying you're not entirely sure the idea is even a good one, uh, regardless of whether they could even pull it off. Yeah. And and maybe and maybe this is just me oversimplifying things in, in my basketball analysis and not really, you know, haven't delved into the, the nitty gritty of the numbers and things like that. Obviously, he's a very gifted defender and is great in transition. That is the that are, those are the undisputable facts about about Ben Simmons. Um, he will elevate this team's defense if if by some chance they were able to acquire him. But when he can't be on the floor for the last couple of minutes of a playoff game because he's that much of an offensive liability, that's a problem for somebody on a max contract for me. I just don't see how this is a good idea, how it gets fixed. Again, maybe I'm being oversimplistic. Maybe I'm being short-sighted and just looking at what happened in this playoff series. But I just just don't see how – this roster starts crystallizing into a championship roster if he becomes one of the tent poles of it. Uh, it, it because they're going to have to give something up. I see, I see the trade scenarios online and, and like, you know, people are trying to get Simmons here without them having to give up like uh, McDaniels or Russell or, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think they would have to give up Edwards and they wouldn't give up Edwards, right. but you know, the fact that you might, you know, just Beasley and Rubio in a couple picks might get Ben Simmons done is not is not a is not a realistic trade proposal in my eyes. Um, so I, I just I just can't I just can't imagine a scenario where you acquire a guy who was benched in the fourth quarter of key playoff games and is on a max contract and look at that and say yes that is that is our future right there. I just don't I just don't see it. I, I'm sorry. Maybe again, maybe I'm being too simplistic, but I just don't see it. Yeah, I, I, I get what you're saying, and I don't necessarily disagree with the the downside of Ben Simmons. It, the downside is mm-hmm. there. It was on display in the playoffs. This was a very winnable Eastern Conference this year. I, I think you know, with yep. all the injuries to the you know, with the injuries to the Nets, uh, I think the Bucks have shown you know in in the playoffs certainly and in the finals that they're that they're a worthy team, but this was, this was a, an East that was there for Philadelphia to take. And they couldn't even get out of the conference semifinals. Uh, couldn't even beat a pretty average Atlanta team uh, to get, you know, to get into at least, um, you know, a, a crack at getting to the finals. And that's, that was largely because of Ben Simmons. I mean, it was, let's be honest. I think Embiid played through his injuries pretty well. Harris was fine. I mean, the rest of the roster is a little bit, you know, patchwork, but, if Simmons has at least, you know, if we even just see regular season Ben Simmons in that playoff series, which is like a 60% free throw shooter and a guy who, you know, does all those other things, they probably win that series against Atlanta at least. You know, that said, I think we saw the worst of Ben Simmons right now. And I don't think that's, I don't true, think that's true. I don't think true. that's, that's not exactly who he is. Now he's, he's not a great free throw shooter, even, you know, even when he's even when he's not a historically awful free throw shooter, like twenty four for seventy one, which I think he was in that 
in that series of those playoffs. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he's a 60% career free throw shooter. And that's the thing that concerns me about him is that his, his seasons haven't really gotten better. It's kind of been, it's kind of been the same year four years in a row and it's, it's been fine. Um, you know, the first year he did it, it was great. It's like, wow, look at this guy. Um, this, you know, rookie, you know, and he's been relatively durable, even especially after the, you know, missing that whole first season with the foot injury, he's been pretty durable. Um, but he kind of is what you see is what you get at this point. And so the question would be, is that enough? Or do you think you can elevate him just enough, a little bit more, you know, get him, into being like more like a 65 to 70% free throw shooter, make an occasional jump shot, just enough of a threat. I don't know if you, if you're acquiring him as is, if you're acquiring regular season, Ben Simmons, no doubt he's a gifted, but flawed player. That said, I think the player that you would be trading the centerpiece of any trade for Ben Simmons is probably to make the money match, probably D'Angelo Russell. Right. I think that's kind of, I, I think that's, that's kind of where I land just in reading the tea leaves and things like that. It seems like that would be the thing. Um, but is that the move you want to make? I, I don't I don't know. I think it kind of is. And I'll say that because okay. I feel I feel like a couple of things have happened. One, I think the development of Anthony Edwards as kind of this combo guard who can handle the ball um, and is kind of a little, you know, Russell is a little bit of that, too. He's more of a he's more of a point guard, obviously, than, than Russell is. But he's a guy who likes to play off the ball, too. Um their their three best players right now are very offensive facing players. They're not they're not defensive guys. I think they have a little bit of a roster imbalance right now when it comes to the emphasis on offense versus the emphasis on defense. Now maybe McDaniel's and his continued evolution, maybe other kind of you know fringe moves they could make would 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 help with that. And you don't have to you know sacrifice offense to go get defense. But I just I feel like a lineup with Towns, Russell, and Edwards is always going to have some defensive problems. Is maybe going to have a little bit of size problems, especially if you get Beasley in that starting lineup too. Um, I just I feel like Ben Simmons is a better short-term and long-term roster fit than D'Angelo Russell, even if everything they've said about Russell, even if everything they like about Russell is true. I think they've got enough scoring. I think they could use something else, well, and maybe that something else is what would I don't. I don't disagree with any of that. What you just said about the offensive facing roster, and I think they realize that. Um, I don't think that Ben Simmons, that getting Ben Simmons is the answer, is necessarily the only answer to, to that to that problem. I I agree a hundred percent that that my biggest question going forward with the roster as currently constructed is will this team ever play anything resembling average defense on our night in night out basis to me that is question number one of the next season uh in terms of a, a team development that doesn't mean that there aren't other solutions out there to help fix that particular problem on the defensive end of the floor maybe without giving up d'angelo russell without compromising too much of your uh, of your offense um you know we, we've heard we've heard some rumors and, and seen some rumblings and Roses has made uh, no bones about the fact that he wants to acquire a four. Yeah. Um, and that the power forward position is is priority number one uh, headed into this offseason. And, you know, they they wanted John Collins at the deadline. You know, we're, we're kind of seeing that Atlanta 
is having a, a, a moment where they're going to have to make some tough decisions on this roster that, that just got to the Eastern Conference Finals. And one of the casualties of that might be that John Collins uh, is a sign-and-trade candidate because he's due a large contract. Whether he gets a max or not is to be determined. Um, but that's I think that's kind of what he's angling for. Um, and, but the wolves have a lot of interest in that. Um, if, if he were to become available in a side and sign and trade scenario, I don't think you would have to give up as much to get a John Collins as you would have been Simmons, despite Simmons's depressed value. Um, so I, I would be very interested in, in, in a scenario like that, where you're looking at a guy like, like a John Collins and maybe identifying him as the potential sign trade or trade candidate that the Wolves potentially bring in here in coming weeks. Because, again, Atlanta has some tough decisions to make, and he might end up being one of the uh, one of the guys that ends up going as a result of those tough decisions. I agree. I think Collins is more realistic. He was, I mean, let's, let's remember, he was my original fixation a few months ago at the trade deadline. It probably didn't make sense for Atlanta at that point because – was that when they started to get hot and there was like, well, yes, it was, it was right after the coach who changed and started playing. Well, they decided to keep them. Um, they didn't make, they didn't make any moves in terms of selling people the deadline. And it worked out because they made it to the Eastern conference finals. Like it, it turned out to be, you know, the right thing to do. Um, but that doesn't mean that just because the wolves missed out on them at the trade deadline, that they're not going to circle back and see, Hey, how's uh, how, how are things going over there uh, with, with, with Collins? It's, it's, maybe there's a deal they can make. What do you think is the, what's the market for someone like him then? I mean, I think we've kind of established that for Simmons, even at his depressed value. And, you know, I think that's another reason to maybe that that move is attractive is that you're kind of buying low on somebody, even if Philadelphia's going to kind of try to prop up his value, not just give him away. But you know, what, what, what's the, what's fair value in either scenario. I think mean, if, if we've kind of identified like D'Angelo Russell's kind of got to be the piece that goes back for, Ben Simmons, because I think that's someone that Philadelphia would want, you know, someone that could play well with Embiid that would fit that roster pretty well. They'd be giving up some defense, gaining some shooting, some late game, you know, late game stuff that they would gain. What, uh, what, you know, what's the market for a John Collins? You think it's got, it probably starts less than a D'Angelo Russell, I would think. Yeah, I would say maybe around there. It's a different, different skill set. I, I would assume you'd be giving up at least a first round pick, if not maybe two. I don't know. Um, and I guess some of that depends on what player are you giving back? Uh, what, what level, level of players or player um, does, does a third team get into the mix in a situation like that? I, I'm not sure what the machinations of that would be, but you're definitely sending out at least one first rounder, maybe two, I, I would assume, but I'm not, I'm not 100% certain. NBA trade values never never cease to to shock me when they some of them come down the pike when you see what guys are dealt for picks and what guys aren't and you know we thought we thought for for a long time that Andrew Wiggins would require multiple first round picks to get to get off of the Wolves roster turned out it was only one. Remember those days? I do. Yeah, so so you know so so who knows but um and again, some of that depends on on what player you'd be sending back in return. This is a good point for me to remind everybody too that you know, while Gerson Rosas is his own, you know, he's his own person. He he'll makes his own decisions. He does come from the Houston organization that will make a well. It does have a first round pick this year, but before this year, 
did not have a first round pick since 2015. Um, different organizations diff value first round picks differently. Some see them as assets to acquire things. Some see them as, you know, things that you actually want to draft and develop. It kind of depends on what stage of your organization you're at. You know, when the Wolves were picking first, obviously they were going to take Anthony Edwards, even though they did potentially explore trading that pick at, at the moment. But I, I don't, I don't think the idea of the Wolves trading future draft picks, even though they you know don't have a pick this season as of now, uh, is out of the question because that that's that's where that's kind of the school of thought that Rosas came from. That you know these are assets. If you think you're going to be good. Um, a first round pick isn't as valuable as you might think it is. It might have more value in a trade than it does in straight up taking someone at number 23 or something like that. That's a, that's a hundred percent. And that's where I'm thinking as well, in terms of just the philosophy of dealing these first round picks. And, you know, this gets into a little bit of, you know, the clock is ticking. Like, you know, let's, 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 you know, face it here. It's, it's going to be year three of the roses regime coming up here. There's new ownership coming in. Um, not for two years officially, but there's new ownership coming in. Carl Anthony Towns, you know, the clock on, on you know, whatever trade, the day that the that the Woj bomb drops and he's requested a trade. Everybody fears that day is, is out there in the future, right? So there is there is at least a little bit, more than a little bit of pressure to turn this team into a, a contending team now. And if that means that you have to give up a couple first round picks to get a guy you think can put you into the playoffs, then so be it. Um, I think at this point in the franchise's existence, um, Roses is very cognizant of, of what happened with the Jimmy Butler uh, experiment a few years ago and how that worked for, well, kind of worked for one year and then blew up in everybody's face and kind of set the, set the wolves back from a roster construction standpoint for a few years. So I think there is a, a, at least a little, a little carefulness that will go into not just trying to sell out for one year or one playoff appearance, right. whatever is done is going to have an eye towards the next five ish years. So, but there is pressure to, to finally turn this team into a, a contender after two fairly miserable seasons overall. Yeah, exactly. And that's, you know, yeah, it's good to remember that those he's, he said no shortcuts essentially is, is the quote that I remember. He doesn't want to take a shortcut. He considers the Butler trade a shortcut. Um, but you know, again, acquiring someone like a John Collins or Ben Simmons isn't necessarily a shortcut. If you're, if you're not trading, you know, three young assets, if you're trading kind of like-minded for like-minded, or if you're trading a future asset that you don't feel is going to be worth that much, if you're good, um, you know, the, the, you know, the, the Butler trade, you know, blew up because, you know, for a number of reasons, but the, you know, the players that went out, Levine, um, Chris Dunn and Laurie Markin. And I think, you know, I think I would do that trade again, just wishing that, uh, <laughs> wishing that the outcome on this end was, uh, was a little different. Um, talking here with Chris Hine, Chris, before we go, I want to, you mentioned the, uh, the ownership change. There was, a uh, just another you know, a little twist in that this week. What uh, what's the update on that? Yeah, so the NBA uh, has formally approved the first twenty percent of Mark Lori and Alex Rodriguez's acquisition of the Timberwolves and Lynx. Um, kind of a just the formality, the the formal steps that they have to go through to close this. Um, so, for those that might be unaware, uh, when Meyer Orbach, the minority owner. Uh, sued Glenn Taylor to try to put a stop to this in order to get his money out of this deal. 
um, we learned a lot about kind of how this this process is going to take place because a lot of this stuff had to get filed in court. So Lori and Rodriguez uh, are getting 20% this summer, 20%. Uh, they have the, again, technically they have the option to buy another 20% in 2022, and then in 2023, another 20%. And it's at that 2023 sale that they would have 60% of the franchise and would become the controlling owners um, of the Wolves and Lynx. So this is the first step in that process. Their initial 20% buy-in just got approved by the NBA, should be closing officially in, in coming days here. And so that would officially make them part of the ownership group, um, not controlling owners. That's still Glenn Taylor for the time being, but this is the first step in that process. And each of their subsequent purchases next summer or next year, and then in 2023, this also has to go through the same approval process that they just went through these last few weeks here. The NBA has to approve every every step of this along the way. Did that imp- did that approval contain all the provisions for exactly where they're going to relocate the franchise, Chris? You know, I haven't heard that yet. Um, I, I guess it's still a coin flip, Seattle or Vegas. I mean, take your pick. You know, but yeah, but yeah, the the uh, the provisions. Yeah, clearly, it it states in there that the Minnesota Timberwolves will be moving within a year or something like that. Yeah. By the way, Royce brought this up on Monday's podcast. Uh, how did Gary Bettman? get the NHL to Seattle and Vegas before uh, before the NBA got back to, to Seattle and got into Vegas. That's a, that's a major upset when you consider the uh, those markets. It's a good question. I don't know. Um, well, I guess, you know, teams at all leagues had always been hesitant to jump on, on the Vegas bandwagon for, you know, traditional gambling point shaving reasons and things like that. But I guess the NHL just saw an opportunity there and was like, Hey, if nobody else wants to go, we'll go. And, and try to build a team and build a following there. And I think it, I think it's worked out pretty well for them yeah. in the NHL. And so same with Seattle, they see an opportunity there. Uh, you know, they, they think, I, I guess it could coexist with Vancouver just over the border there. But um, yeah, uh, I, you know, part of me wishes I was covering the NHL so that I could go to Seattle and Vancouver again uh, on work trips. Those are good trips. Definitely covered a lot of uh, wild playoff games in Vancouver many, many years ago. That was a, fun back and forth not as fun when they not as fun when they played back-to-backs in game six and seven back in the day uh home and away by the way but uh, that was a, a story my days for a covering the, my, my days covering the blackhawks i have a lot of stories about or a lot of uh jet lag stories flying back and forth to california and things like but, but that the playoffs why did they do that it was it's 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 crazy anyway Chris Hine, great stuff. Appreciate you uh, you hopping on. I don't know if we're ever going to solve the uh, Ben Simmons thing, but if it happens, uh, we'll, we'll get back on here and debate whether it was a good idea or not. Until then, uh, enjoy the rest of uh, your time in uh, Pennsylvania. We'll catch you soon, okay? Sounds good, Mike. Talk to you later. Let's finish with the cooler, the wild defensive core, which got thinner last week when they bought out Ryan Suter got a little bit thinner again when Carson Soucy was selected by Seattle in the expansion draft on Wednesday. That leaves the Wild really with just three, you know, three rostered defensemen right now under contract. I'm sure there's going to be some free agent additions. I'm sure there's going to be some, you know, call, you know, moving movement from the the younger the younger group to see who can stick in the lineup. Not like this is a finished product, but uh, yeah, this is a this leaves them in a little bit of a little bit thin on defense, a position that's been so good in recent years. Now you're looking at Jonas Brodeen, Jared Spurgeon, and Matt Dumba, a very good three, by the way, to start from. 
uh, as your only three right now. Here's Bill Guerin, the wild GM, on, uh, on, on Susie leaving to Seattle in the expansion draft. Well, it obviously stings. Um, you know, Carson's a, a, a great kid, um, you know, a player that we had uh, saw a lot of value in. Uh, his progression over the last couple of years was, was, uh, was fantastic. Um, you know, when I first got here, uh, we, we kind of had him pegged for Iowa, and he, he took a job. He stole a job, and uh, he kept getting better and better. And, um, you know, it's unfortunate, but those are the rules. And uh, we knew we were going to lose a good player, and, you know, it was, it was Carson, and we wish him nothing but the best. He, he gave us some good years, and uh, he's, he's going to do fantastic. I mean, obviously, it hurts our, it hurts our depth, but, um, you know, we've got some work to do, and we've got to fill some spots. And that was Garen talking to reporters afterwards. Um, he's going to have a lot of work to do in coming years. You know, I wrote about this uh, yesterday on the Randball blog, but uh, the the wild salary cap situation looks okay this year. They can fit those extensions for Fiala and uh, and uh, and Kaprizov well into the cap this year. But next year, 2022-23 season, when those uh, buyouts for Suter and Parisi start hitting the books hard. I think their their cap obligations right now are already like sixty five million, assuming extensions for those two key offensive players. They're going to be about sixty five million with just ten guys uh, on the roster uh, accounted for, and that's a uh, that's going to be a bind. They're going to need to re- be relying on a lot of young players, which is part of the reason I was a little surprised that Susie was exposed. You know, a uh, a defenseman that uh, that can play that that's under contract for a relatively um, you know, relatively modest contracts. So we'll see how that all plays out. They obviously have a plan, and now it's Bill Guerin's turn to execute that plan. That'll do it for today. I'll have Randy Johnson on tomorrow's show, the football writer, not the pitcher. Um, he is coming uh, coming to us from uh, from Gopher Football, Big Ten Media Day. Going to talk a lot of Gopher football. Should be excellent to catch up with Randy on all that. Thanks for joining me here today, and we'll get you again on Friday.